Welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast where in this episode you will learn more about the exciting updates from ESCO GI Conference 2023 which took place in San Francisco. ESCO GI is the key conference for updates on potentially clinically changing practices in the field of GI cancers and in this update we will go through the key upper GI studies presented at the conference and I'm very excited to learn more from today's experts. This podcast is an initiative of core to ed and developed by GI Connect, a group of international experts working in the field of GI oncology. The podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Bayer. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organizations or the rest of the GI Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the core to ed website. I'm Tonko de Jong, and on behalf of core to ed Independent Medical Education, I'm happy to introduce to you today's experts, Dr. Doten and Dr. Uboa. Dr. Doten is an oncologist and chief of the division of gastrointestinal medical oncology at Fox Chase Cancer Center. Dr. Uboa, is an oncologist and an associate professor of medicine at the University of Wisconsin. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Welcome again. And perhaps, Dr. Uboa, you can take us through the first abstract that you have selected to discuss today and tell us why this abstract is of interest. Good day, everybody, and thank you for inviting me to discuss uh, some of this new and exciting data from GIASCO. I will be talking about uh, the phase three SPOTLIGHT trial. SPOTLIGHT trial was a trial that looked at the activity of a novel agent, Zolbetoximab, in the patients with untreated advanced gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. Before I go into what Zolbetoximab is, let me tell you what it targets. And it targets the proteins called Clodins. Clodin 18.2 in particular is a tight junction protein, which is typically expressed in normal gastric mucosa and in many epithelial cells. And its expression is altered in gastric cancer cells. And so Zolbetoximab is a first-in-class chimeric IgG1 monoclonal antibody that targets Clodin 18.2. Previously, there was a phase two study called FAST study that looked at the activity of this drug in gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma and showed some promising activity. And so at this prior uh, ASCO GI meeting, we saw the results of the next study, SPOTLIGHT study, which was a phase three study looking at the activity of this protein in patients with advanced gastroesophageal cancer. And so this was a global study. It enrolled close to 550 patients. And patients that were enrolled in this study were randomized to either chemotherapy alone or chemotherapy plus zolbutoximab. And patients that were eligible for participation had to have tumors that had high expression of clodin 18.2. And this was based on the results of the prior phase two study that showed that the activity of this molecule was primarily seen in patients whose tumors had high expression of this protein. Clodin 18.2 high expression was defined as moderate or strong Clodin-18 staining in more than 75% of tumor cells. Patients that were eligible for participation also had tumors that had no HER2 expression. 
And so the enrolled patients are randomized into one-to-one -one fashion to the chemo or chemo plus lobotuximab. And the study looked at progression-free survival and overall survival. And this was a very positive study in favor of experimental arm. Overall survival and progression-free survival was significantly improved. Overall survival in particular was improved by about three months, 18.2 months versus 15.5 months. 18.2 months, I think, is the highest overall survival that we've seen in patients with this disease in phase three study. And so was progression-free survival. This was improved as well. Interestingly, response rates stayed about the same in both arms. And then in terms of toxicity, it's important to note that lobotoximab has GI toxicity. GI toxicity is seen because this protein is also expressed in normal gastric cells. A significant percentage of patients had nausea, vomiting, decreased appetite in the experimental arm. But other toxicities were as expected as the toxicities that you would see from chemotherapy. And so I anticipate that uh, zolbatoximab will likely gain approval by the FDA uh, for the treatment of this disease. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Very impressive results, right? I, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Could you tell me a bit more about if you think that these findings uh, will impact your patient management now that you go back to the clinic? I think absolutely. Once this, the drug gets approved, we will be using this agent in the treatment of uh, patients with this disease. It's also encouraging to know that there was a press release about the partner study called GLOW, which used capecitabine and oxaliplatin as a chemotherapy backbone. And this study appears to have a positive readout as well. We are waiting for the final results, but I believe it's another evidence that this is an active agent and will be utilized. I think the bigger question will be, how do we incorporate this drug into the management tools that we already have since nivolumab is approved in combination with chemotherapy already for the management of HER2-negative disease? And we will have to tease out how best to select patients that are uh, the candidates for one or the other therapy. Yeah. Do you have any ideas on that, Dr. Doten? Yeah, I, I think this data is very exciting. Number one, what's exciting, in my opinion, is the fact that we have a new biomarker in this disease. And, you know, gastric cancer is turning into a disease where now we can check for HER2. We can look at PDL1 and MSI expression and now Claudin 18.2. And this really helps us uh, personalize therapy much better. I think everybody is excited to uh, use this drug once it's approved, but another hurdle is the testing. I think we have to understand how this can be done. It's uh, IHC, so it shouldn't be very complicated, but labs will have to figure out how to um, assess the clinical uh, biopsies and, and really provide the results. And further research is needed to help us uh, understand who starts their treatment with targeting Claudin versus an immunotherapy. Um, is it based on uh, expression of PD-L1? It is based on uh, Claudian expression. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure how we would sequence this in uh, this patient population. I believe in this trial, uh, the expression of Claudian was about 30% of patients uh, that were screened, if I remember correctly. So it's not the majority of patients, but it's definitely a significant number of patients that uh, could benefit from this treatment. Yeah, thanks. Uh, do you have anything to add on this abstract, Dr. Ubohan? You know, I, I think what Dr. Doton is pointing out about biomarkers is a question in everybody's mind. Whom do we test? How quickly can we get test results and have to be pick treatments? What this study also showed is that the overlap between high clot and positivity 
and high PDL1 positivity was seen in only 13% of patients. And so hopefully we wouldn't have to struggle with this question in too many patients, but of course we will need to see real world data regarding the biomarker positivity once we actually start using these drugs. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can imagine that this Spotlight study was not the only promising study at ESCO uh, GI. So are there any more abstracts that we can talk about? Well, I think speaking of first-line management of advanced gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma, we should mention Rationale 305, which is a phase three study that looks at the activity of tislalizumab, anti-PD-1 antibody in combination with chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone in patients with pdl one positive tumors. It was a positive study in favor of testolizumab. The study design was similar to the study design of Checkmate 649. Checkmate 649 was a similar study with nivolumab, and nivolumab is already approved for this indication in the United States, while testolizumab is not. So in my opinion, Rationale 305 just adds to the body of knowledge that we have about the use of anti-PD-1 inhibitors in first-line setting, but is not, is not really a surprising finding per se. But it was also encouraging to see Checkmate 649 updated results with longer follow-up. And we are seeing that uh, about 20% of patients are alive at 36 months time point, which is uh, amazing for this disease. And again, just um, great to see that our tools in management of these patients are growing. Yeah, great. Great results as well. So would there be any clinical impact from this abstract? I believe we're getting more and more comfortable in using the volumab in first-line setting and uh, selecting patients for the treatment uh, with nivolumab, we know that the activity of this drug is limited primarily to those who has tumors have PDL1, CPS5 or greater. CPS stands for combined positive score. Uh, so I don't think it really impacts how we use the drug, but just supports the fact that PDL1 testing, HER2 testing, and hopefully soon Claudin testing will be part of our standards. Another study to mention in uh, advanced setting is integrated to a study. And this is the study that looked at the activity of regorafenib in advanced disease. Regorafenib is a multi-tyrosine kinase inhibitor, which is approved for the treatment of colon cancer and also GIST and HCC. And so this drug, which is anti-angiogenic activity, was studied in gastric cancer patients as well. Patients were randomized to either regorafenib or placebo in advanced setting. And the primary endpoint of overall survival was met. It was statistically significant. But the absolute numbers were disappointing. 4.5 months versus four months. Questions whether this is a clinically relevant study. But admittedly, it's really hard to perform studies in uh, this patient population because of the aggressive nature of this disease. The subsequent study to integrate 2A, integrate 2B is already enrolling patients, and it looks at the combination of regorafenib plus nivolumab versus chemo in similar patient population. And my hope was that we will see a stronger signal when this drug is combined with immunotherapy. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about this, Dr. Doten? You know, the Integrate study is as important data that, you know, this drug does have activity. There is a role to targeting VEGF and using a tyrosine kinase uh, inhibitor in this disease. I guess one of my concerns with this trial was the dose that was used. Uh, the dose of regorafenib was uh, 160 milligrams used 
daily for three weeks on, one week off out of a four-week cycle. And we know from colon cancer and also from ATC that, you know, this is not an easy drug. It carries some toxicities. And there is some data out there of using this in a more gentle dosing uh, schedule. So I was very happy to hear that the Integrate 2B is actually using a lower dose of, I believe, 90 milligram. And I hope that it could actually be that with the lower dose, patients can tolerate the drug longer and maybe benefit from it more. I think we saw that in the redose trial with uh, metastatic colon cancer, that actually using a lower dose was, was beneficial because patients were, were able to be on the drug for longer. Um, so I'm hoping that's uh, uh, going to, again, give us another treatment option for this very aggressive and challenging uh, uh, type of tumor. Thanks. So I think we now touched upon the metastatic studies. Are there any other studies that were of interest during ESCO-GI? Yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about the studies that were done in the early stage. The first study I want to talk about is uh, the NEO-AGES trial. And this is uh, actually a trial that's older, and it it has been uh, started quite a few years ago. But in fact, it still answers a very uh, important question. The study basically evaluated the use of preoperative chemotherapy versus uh, chemoradiation in patients with esophageal adenocarcinoma and GE junction adenocarcinoma. The study enrolled patients with T2 to 3, N0 to 3, M0 disease and randomized patients to one of two arm. Uh, The preoperative chemotherapy arm started off with the use of ECF for three cycles, followed by surgery, followed by another three cycles of ECF. And later on in the trial, when the FLOT regimen became more standard of care, the study was amended to allow for the use of FLOT regimen, giving four cycles pre-op and four cycles post-op. The other arm was neoadjuvant chemoradiation using the CROSS regimen, um, as was published, followed by surgery. And the primary endpoint of the study was overall survival with multiple secondary endpoints looking at disease-free survival, time-to-treatment failure, toxicity, as well as pathologic and surgical outcomes like R0 resection, rate of PASCR, uh, post-op complications, and quality of life. So it is very interesting to see the results of this trial. Uh, the bottom line was that when they looked at uh, outcomes in terms of PASCR, there was a significant difference between the two groups. The PASCR rate were definitely higher with the chemoradiation. It was uh, 17% versus 5%. In addition, major PASCR was also higher. Uh, that was almost up to 40-some percent for the chemoradiation group. R0 resection was a little bit higher. And then nodal staging was better with the uh, cross arm. And these were all statistically significant endpoints. However, when they looked at three years overall survival, there was actually no difference between the two arms. So it was 55 versus 57%. They did exactly the same at three years overall survival. I find this data very interesting because despite getting better pathological responses, better surgical um, outcomes, still the survival was the same. Yeah, that's interesting. So what would that mean for you and for clinical practice? Exactly. Well, I think um, we have been choosing between these two regimens. I'm not sure we had a perfect way to make the choice. It was a lot of surgery and disease team uh, preferences. And now we have data that shows that the survival is not different. 
I want to point out two caveats that we have to think about in this trial. Number one, uh, when we look at the pre-op chemotherapy arm, only about 15% of patients actually receive FLOT, which is now considered the standard of care. And we know that that's a better regimen than ECF. So did that affect how that arm did in terms of the PATH responses? And the second thing I want to point out is that now uh, for these patients, we know that there is evidence to use nivolumab in the adjuvant setting. So does that affect how the results should be used? Over the time course that this trial was conducted, we added multiple drugs in the metastatic setting. Does that affect the survival? Because uh, we know even though patients can have path CR, many of them will recur and develop metastatic disease. So I don't know if this absolutely changes practice, but I can say I feel very good about using CROSS now. I think it's a better tolerated regimen. And I, I was very happy to see the response rates that were seen. I don't know if Dr. Uboha has other insights into this. I agree. I really like this study. In medical oncology com community, we have debated for years what's better, cross or flawed, or it used to be cross or magic. And what this trial showed us, that you can use either one and you will get similar results. And of course, the practice has changed both for patients who receive cross because they get adjuvant nivolumab now, as uh, Dr. Dutan pointed out, and for the chemo arm because we're using more flot. But these regimens demonstrated similar activity. And so either one of those regimens, I think, are appropriate for the management of these patients. I tend to use neoadjuvant chemoradiation for distal esophageal and proximal G-junction tumors, CWRT ones and twos. Whenever the tumors are in the stomach or uh, involve G-junction in a CWRT type three fashion, I use uh, perioperative chemotherapy. But what this regimen, what this study also showed us is that uh, maybe we don't need as much chemotherapy as four months of FLOT, which is quite toxic, if we can achieve similar results with just weekly carbotaxel in your vaginal setting. Maybe more is not better. This was a theme from some of the other sections during GI ASCO. Yeah, yeah, we definitely need to know more and discover more. Is there any any more abstract that you would like to discuss or talk about? Yeah, I think another very interesting abstract in the early stage uh, setting was the INFINITY trial. The INFINITY trial actually focuses on a very specific group of patients, and that is the MSI high resectable gastric cancers or GE junction tumors. This study looked at the use of uh, tremolumumab and dervalumab in the perioperative setting, so in the neoadjuvant setting, for a total of three months of therapy. The study included patients with MSI high resectable gastric cancer. The MSI high was centrally confirmed both by IHC and PCR. They included tumors that were T2 or higher with any nodal status and no metastatic disease. And patients received one dose of tremolumumab, uh, 300 milligram on day one, followed by three doses of their volumab, 1,500 milligrams once every three weeks. And following that, they went on to surgery. The primary endpoint of this trial was actually pathologic complete response and negative CT DNA status after they completed the neoadjuvant therapy. And of course, they looked at multiple other endpoints within this trial. They accrued a total of uh, 18 patients. However, ultimately, they completed the analysis only on 14 because three patients withdrew consent or didn't 
participate. One patient ultimately decided not to go to surgery. So there were 14 patients for the analysis. And what was really interesting is that the median age of these patients was 71 years old. So actually an older patient population that had MSI status, we have to keep that in mind. The results were very, very encouraging. They had 60% rate of PATH-CR. And if you looked at major to complete PATH-CR, so like any major pathological response that you would expect, and they defined it as less than 10% viable cells. That was up to 80% of the patients. There was one patient that actually was found to have sort of a mixed tumor. Uh, there were a few areas that were MSI high and a few areas that, was, that were MSI stable, and that patient did not have a PASCR. And that also adds to the importance of getting good biopsies and really understanding this disease. In terms of uh, outcome, they had a very good overall uh, survival. There was one patient that progressed, and then there were two patients that had perioperative complications and another patient that had uh, secondary disease. But ultimately, they had really, really good responses in the patient that did get PATH-CR. One other interesting analysis that they uh, have done is that they showed that the response was very good in the groups of patients that had a T2 to T3 tumors, but those with T4 had uh, a little bit less chances for respond. And also they showed that there was a very good correlation between response and TMB status, but not so much with pdl one score. So to conclude uh, this uh, study, basically we can see that the use of immunotherapy for three months before surgery is highly effective in this patient population. And in fact, the results are so encouraging that there is a second cohort to this trial that's currently ongoing, evaluating the option for non-operative therapy for this disease. So patients will get this combination and then will just be followed with a very strict surveillance program with EGDs and scans and ctDNA to make sure they're not recurring and in the face of recurrent will be referred for surgery. That sounds super interesting. Thanks for giving this overview of the abstracts from ESCO GI. If you could please summarize what you feel have been the key developments of ESCO GI for upper GI. So uh, I guess I can start. I mean, I think at the early stage setting, what we know is that using uh, perioperative chemotherapy versus neoadjuvant chemoradiation ultimately will have the same outcomes. So choose based on uh, clinical factors and more data awaits to try and help us figure out what's better. And if you have a tumor in the early stage setting, please test MSI because the management of these patients based on the INFINITY trial and the prior published Neonipica trial, both really, really support the use of immunotherapy in that patient population. Great. What would you like to add, Dr. Uboa? I think the key takeaway is that we are starting to personalize care of these patients more and more, both in early stage and in advanced stage. In early stage, certainly MSI testing is extremely important, as uh, was just discussed. And in advanced stages, we have a novel biomarker, Claudin 18.2. And there are a number of different agents in development. I believe there were four or five app poster abstracts that uh, were at GI ASCO looking at this. So there's going to be more and more agents going into clinical trials and into development. And so, again, testing, 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 and really picking the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. Great. Thank you both for summarizing this. 
I feel that you provided me and our listeners with a great overview of the key upper GI studies from ESCO GI 2023. I would like to thank you both for your contribution, Dr. Doten and Dr. Uboa. Thank you. This was a lot of fun and uh, um, exciting to be part of this. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you so much again. If you liked this episode, then you should look out on the core to ad channel for more. In particularly, we will have another episode with an update for you from ESCO GI on lower GI from Dr. Andrea Sartore Bianchi from Italy and Dr. Shub Hampland from the USA. So make sure to listen to that episode too. Also, don't forget to rate this episode and share our podcast on social media or with your colleagues. If you want to know more specifically about this episode that you're listening to, then please know that you can download the summary slides on the Core2Ad website. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Core2Ed Independent Medical Education. Please visit core2ed.com for more information.